Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. do a little bit of review from Zechariah chapter 8. If you remember, the Jews came with a theological question. Do we have to continue to fast? Now, if you remember, the Lord answers directly to the heart, and he knows this is a cover for, hey, God, you've given us some promises. Do you see what we're doing? Like, we're fasting, we're praying, we're building. When's the next group of Jews coming to help us out. Like, we're halfway through this project, and this is hard work. When are you going to fulfill your promises? And God assures them that he never asked them to fast. Do you remember what he said in Zechariah chapter 8? For me? You're fasting for me? That's like an upset parent, isn't it? Like, when you remember when your mom would be, you did it for me? Like, you remember that moment was like, uh-oh, she's upset. And so God says, wait a second, did you really do this for me? God assures them that he never asked them to fast and that he will do what he said he would do when he wants to do it. Because none of God's word will ever return void. And it's not because of what you do for me. I don't care how many songs you sing. I don't care how long you fast. I don't care what you do. When I say something, I'm going to do it. And nothing you do is going to deter me from doing my word. Because when I send my word, it will bring forth what I say that it will bring forth. Amen? All the promises of God are yes and amen. So when I said that I'm going to bring people back, look at Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8, I'll pick it up there in verse 8. I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people. I will be their God in truth and righteousness. And in this verse, God reveals a future promise for Israel. We didn't catch it the last time, but we're going back to it because today we're going to be talking about the millennial kingdom. He says that he will be their God in truth and righteousness. In truth and righteousness. Well, if you go to Israel today, it's the furthest thing from truth and righteousness. And I hate to upset you, but the Jews are not exactly the people of God as of yet. They hunk at you when you drive in the streets of Jerusalem. In fact, the streets of Jerusalem are so narrow, they will run you over. Orthodox Jews, they are definitely not yet the people of God because when you go onto their sacred Western place, they let Western wall, they let you know with a little bump and a little shove, so like Jesus, that they do not want you there. And so what God is revealing here, I believe, is not what we see happening today. May of 1948, we know that the state of Israel came together. And you know why the state of Israel came together? Because God said that he would gather the Jews again. Listen to this. It's Ezekiel chapter 11. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples. Assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Theologically, this is called the gathering in unbelief. God promises that I'm going to bring you back together. We see this happening even today as Jews are going back to Israel, the gathering in unbelief. But this promise, this promise in verse 8 It seems that the Jews are believing. He says that I will be their God. But not right now. Jesus is not their God. And I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Now, they believe in God the Father, but Jesus made it very clear, if you don't believe in me, you don't believe in the Father. So right now, their God is not Jesus. So what what do we see happening here? We see that there's going to be a gathering in belief. Well, when will this occur? 
Zechariah chapter 8, now we'll pick it up going all the way to verse 20. We'll pick it up in verse 20 and we will see a potentiality of when it occurs. Take a look, Zechariah chapter 20, he's finishing the sermon that he gives him, this six-point sermon. We did five points last week. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Peoples shall yet come, speaking of a future time. He's promising them. My promise is going to come to pass. Inhabitants of many cities... The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go. Let us be continually going and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days... Ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man. Note the distinction between the people of the nations and the Jews. Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. You see, he reveals that there's a time that's yet coming. And in this time, the Jews are going to be so worshiping God that the nations are going to go, hey, we hear what God is doing. We hear what God is doing with you. We would like to go with you and worship the Lord. It's kind of like a little bit what we're experiencing, maybe not now, but 50 years ago or 100 years ago or go all the way back to Ellis Island when everyone was trying to come to the United States for a better life. They heard of how this was the land of opportunity. It was the place to get your education. And they forsook their families and they came all the way over to the United States of America so that they could make it. Well, Israel is going to be the new United States of America times infinity. Because Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning. And the world is going to hear of the prosperity of the Jews during Jesus' rule and reign that everyone's going to want to immigrate to Jerusalem. That's what's going on here. And I want you to see this distinction. That they're seeking the Lord and praying before Him physically in Jerusalem. So gang, this period of time is known as the Millennial Kingdom. Now, if you think I'm speaking in tongues, I'm not. Millennial. It's a Latin word. Milli, which is a thousand, and then neum, which is, comes from the Greek word for year, a thousand years. This is speaking about the Millennial Kingdom of Christ, where Christ will physically, bodily rule and reign on the earth, specifically establishing his throne in Jerusalem. But Zechariah chapter 8 is not the first attempt to introduce us to the millennial kingdom, and it will not be the last. Flip over a couple of pages, you'll recognize it, Zechariah chapter 2, look at verse 10. Zechariah chapter 2, I'll pick it up in verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Now think of this with the rule and reign of Christ on the earth. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. I'm coming to Zion, I'm coming to Israel, I'm coming to Jerusalem, and I am going to dwell in your midst. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Then you'll know that, um, that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. He will take his inheritance because his father gave him a promise. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. I want you to see this beautiful promise of a father to a son. uh, Psalm chapter 2, remember, Jesus is giving Jerusalem as his inheritance. He is going to rule and reign in the midst. I am coming to you, the Bible says. Now keep all of those thoughts in mind as we take a look now at Psalm chapter 2. 
Why do the nations rage, verse 1, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. I love verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. So what we here have in Psalm chapter 2 is the preparation of the armies of the world coming against God, coming against Jerusalem at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And God is sitting in their war room. Well, here's how we'll get him. This is what we're going to do. Now, they don't know God's in the war room. They don't know that God is spirit. And they don't believe any of that. So they're thinking and planning their attack on Israel. And God is right there in the room. Now, that should make all of us a little concerned for the fact that wherever we are, God is right there with us because he's spirit. And here they are plotting and planning all of their uh, plans. And God's right there. And he goes, (laughs) really? You think that'll get me? You think like an AK-47 is going to affect my life? (laughs) He laughs. I love this. Sometimes when the enemy comes against us, maybe we should just laugh a little bit. Are you serious? (laughs) I'm a child of God. Get away from me. God laughs at his enemy. The Bible goes on to say, would you take a look now in verse 5? Verse 4, he says, I'm going to hold them in derision. Verse 5, then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. So we know what happens. Jesus comes on the white horse. He speaks a word. And all of a sudden, everybody's dead. Like all he does is speak a word. And the Bible says that the church gets to come back with him and we get to watch this whole experience as witnesses to the power of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Mount Zion. So after Armageddon, God sets Jesus up as the ruler. Take a look at verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, speaking to his son, I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them, dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Psalm chapter 2 is letting us know that Jesus went to his father and said, I'd like to have Jerusalem. That's where I want to rule and reign. And God the Father in Zechariah chapter 8 says, I'm giving you your position. In Zechariah chapter 2, I'm sorry, I'm giving you what you asked for. I'm giving you Jerusalem to rule and reign there in Jerusalem. Now look at verse 10 if you would. Now therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice him with trembling. Now speaking to those that Jesus is ruling over. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. There in Psalm chapter 2, we see the seven-year tribulation, Armageddon, and the rule and reign of Christ. But Zechariah's not finished yet. Go back with me, if you would, to Zechariah chapter 14. So we see the millennial kingdom in Zechariah chapter 2. We see the millennial kingdom in Zechariah chapter 8. But we really see the millennial kingdom now in Zechariah chapter 14. Take a look as we continue. Verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. This is where the church says, come Jesus, come. The day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Okay, so this is at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And all of the nations are upset with Israel for some reason. Maybe God, like the land of Goshen, is not having any of the plagues fall on Israel. Maybe the 144,000 have been radically protected, but for some reason, the world is mad at Israel. Don't be surprised by that. 
Israel, which is the size of the state of New Jersey, no matter what cable news network you listen to, you, if you listen for more, for the na- more for an hour, you will hear about the nation of Israel. And you will hear something negative about the nation of Israel. The world, dis- United States is the only country that is aligned with Israel. If you go to is- uh, Europe and you talk about Israel, <laughs> I can't believe what they've done to the Palestinians. It's amazing how the world is against this tiny little nation like New Jersey. And so they attack. Take a look what happens. Gathered all the nations, the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. This is brutal. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then, look at verse 3. The Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in, the day of his, and in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making very large valley. Half of the mountain shall be moved for, toward the north, and half of it shall be moved toward the south. Then you shall three, flee through the mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Josiah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will, conti- will come and all the saints with you. This will be a glorious moment. Israel, Jerusalem is about to lose. And all of a sudden, dun da da dun da da dun da da dun da da Sorry, I don't know how, why I'm connecting Bonanza to Jesus. And Jesus comes on a white horse, and he gets off that horse, and he puts one foot down and another foot down in the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives responds to the power of Jesus and splits. He's providing a way of escape. And with one word of his mouth, he defeats the armies of the nations. Pick it up again in verse 6. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be as one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at the evening time it shall happen that it will be light. In other words, the light of the glory of Jesus, even if it's at night, it'll brighten up like a full day sun. And in that day shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem. In other words, the healing of the Holy Spirit. Half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over, take a look at this, maybe underline it. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. Please note that Jesus is going to be king of the earth. That's important. Very important. Would you go with me to verse 16 as we wrap up Zechariah 14? And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this won't be a a, a beginning of the law again, much like we have communion and remember the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death and burial of Jesus Christ. We will be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles as a memorial that Jesus is tabernacling or dwelling in our midst, his physical body, and we'll celebrate that every year. Now take a look at verse 16. It shall come to pass that everyone who is left. What's he talking about? Remember, we're at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Not a lot of human beings make it. But there are a few that will live through the seven-year tribulation. A few. A third gets wiped out with one plague, and a third of a third of them get wiped out in the next plague, and then a fourth of them get knocked out. Like, there's only a few left. And Jesus calls these human beings in Matthew chapter 25. Now, we're not going to go there tonight, but you can write that down in your notes and study it just a little bit later. 
In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus refers to these human beings as sheep and goats. The sheep are the good guys. The goats are not so good. Now, do you know how to tell the difference between a sheep and a goat? P, a sheep's tail is down. Goat, a goat's tail, T, is up. That's really the only way that you can tell outside of whether or not the goat has a horn. But Jesus can tell because the sheep took care of his brethren. They fed the Jews when they were hungry. They clothed the Jews when they were naked. They visited the Jews in prison. They gave them something to drink. And Jesus said, you are believers. You're sheep. You acted like me. You're part of my fold. You came to believe in Jesus Christ and you supported your brethren, my brethren, the Jews. And to the goats, oh, very bad, you little goats. I almost went very bad, but I didn't do it. And (laughs) I did it. So I said I wasn't going to do it, then I went ahead and did it. So very bad, you goats, and you're going to go and you're going to wait for your judgment. You can't go into the millennial kingdom. Now the sheep, excuse me, the sheep get to go into the millennial kingdom. Those human beings that believe and live through the tribulation are who's left. So if you've ever wondered who you're ruling and reigning over, it's the sheep that made it through the tribulation, and now they will live into the millennial kingdom. Those are who is left. Now Daniel, he tells us about this period of time. In Daniel chapter 12, uh, look at the screen, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time... Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, there's the seven-year tribulation, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And so of the Jews that make it through the seven-year tribulation... They will be sheep if they believed on the Lord, and they will go into the millennial kingdom as well. Now, this judgment time of the sheep and goats, Daniel goes on to explain in verse 11 and 12. Now, stay with me. This is verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, so that's when the Antichrist sets himself on the throne, calls himself God, God calls that the abomination, okay? The abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. I've always said this about Christianity. It really is a matter of math, not faith. God is so calculated and so communicated with so much detail everything about his kingdom that he has given us the opportunity to try and prove him wrong. To try and prove him wrong. And what he communicates here is something very, very clear. The seven-year tribulation, if you remember, is broken up into two periods. The first three and a half years is called the tribulation, the second, trip, the, part, the second three and a half years is called the Great Tribulation. Oh, look who's Thursday night. The Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation and the Tribulation, the first three and a half years and the second three and a half years, Revelation also calls it a time, times, and a half a time. Also calls it 1,260 days. So the first three and a half years is 1,260 days. The second period is 1,260 days. That's three and a half years on a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. Remember, the Bible is a Jewish book, not an American book. They go by a lunar moon calendar, 30 days of a month. So 1,260 days... 
or 1,290 days minus 1,260 days is 30 days. And what Jesus will do at the end of the seven years is he will purify the temple that the abomination of desolation set up in. He will take 30 days and purify the temple. That's the first 30 days going into the millennial kingdom. Then there will be 1,335 days. That's another 45 days. And go back with me if you would. If we could put it back up on the screen. Look with me if you would at verse 12 again. It's the last sentence there at the bottom. Blessed is he who waits, speaking to the sheep, and comes to the 1,335 days. And the blessing for he who makes it through that time and is a sheep is the blessing is they get to go right into the millennial kingdom. That's their blessing. Now, Zechariah is not the lone Old Testament prophet in describing the earthly reign of Christ. And note that I said the earthly reign of Christ. He shall reign on the earth in Jerusalem. Psalm chapter 72, you'll see it on the screen. Psalm chapter 72, verse 7. In his days, the righteous shall flourish, speaking of the millennial kingdom, and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall leave dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him. His enemies will lick the dust. Wow. So I have to tell you the story. One time I was in Liberia, and I was walking down this little jungle road. And this five-year-old jumps out, and he looks at me, and he goes, Pop. Now I'm 24 years old, and he's calling me his dad. Uh, Pop, he's like five years old, drop on the ground. Now he's holding an AK-47. And I looked at him and I go, son, I can put you over my knee and spank you. And he looked at me and he goes, Pop, you want an extra hole in your body? Try it. I got down. He told me to lick lick the path all the way. Let me tell you something. That path was clean. I licked it all the way, okay? So I just can't imagine this. His, well, I can't imagine. I did it. His enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish of the Isles will bring him presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer their gifts. These are kings on earth. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9, verse 9, this great chapter on the millennial kingdom says, For the earth, not the heavens, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. We even know from Ezekiel that there's going to be a millennial temple in Ezekiel chapter 40 through 49. We know that Amos, another Old Testament prophet, in Amos chapter 9, he tells us that the children of Israel will finally have all of the land. They've never had all of the land. They will finally have all of the land that was promised to them from God during the millennial reign. Daniel, the great prophet. Take a look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Speaking of the reign of Christ, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Does anyone know who that is? Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. uh, Amen. In other words, he will establish a kingdom, and that kingdom will stretch right into eternity after the thousand-year reign. However, the psalmist, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Daniel, we could go on down the list of Old Testament prophets... We did not discover how long the kingdom of Christ would be on earth 
until we got to the New Testament. Turn with me now to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Take a look, if you would. Revelation chapter 20. Now, I know I did not have you turn there, but this is going to be where we'll settle for just a little bit. So I'm going to give you some time to get there and let everything I've just said digest just a minute. Now, if you are trying to keep up with your notes, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Just download it and listen to this again so that you can allow it to immerse into your heart. Now, let's take a look at Revelation chapter 20, and we are going to discover how long is this earthly reign of Christ after the seven-year tribulation, after the 30 days of purifying the temple, after the 45 days of separating the sheep and the goats, where the sheep will be blessed and go into the millennial kingdom. How long will it be? Verse 1. Then I saw an angel, Revelation 20, coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. So he refers to him all the way back to Genesis as that serpent. And bound him for a thousand years. He cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the, here we go, thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Not to leave us hanging, John, who gives us the revelation, now describes what happens in that thousand years. Look at verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who would not worship the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Here we see the explicit direction that Jesus Christ is going to be reigning on the earth and he'll be reigning on the earth for a thousand years. That's why we call this the millennial kingdom. Now before we go any further... We're going to take a commercial break. Everyone take a breath. Perfect. Because what we need to do is understand the three major varieties of opinion on this particular text. Now, there's one thing that we all believe in. All Christians believe in the second coming of Christ. We differ when he will come and how he will come. And there are three major theologies that I want us to understand. Now, please, I will sound like I'm speaking in tongues, but I do promise to explain. The first theology is amillennialism. I had to practice that word all day today, especially the millennialism part. Amillennialism. Simply a Latin word, once again, a no millennialism, no 1,000 years. This is a group in our faith who spiritualize the text. And they don't believe there's a physical reign of Christ on earth. The kingdom of God is currently happening as Christ is reigning from heaven. Now this theology, which is, takes scripture allegorically, and takes Scripture and spiritualizes all of Scripture, it emerged around the 3rd century. A guy by the name of Origen, one of our early church fathers, Jerome, might be familiar to you, brought it to the West. St. Augustine, who I'm sure many of us are familiar with, held on to it, wrote a book about it called The City of God. And it was an allegorization of Scripture. It was highly influenced by a church in Alexandria. 
And this church in Alexandria, they had a theology that leaned towards the mystical and the allegorical interpretation of Scripture. Now, I interpret Scripture historically and literally. And we'll understand that in just a moment. Now, this was not the theology of our early church fathers. Our early church fathers, Polycarp, who was discipled by the Apostle John, and Arrhenius, who was discipled by Polycarp, they believed in millennialism. In fact, one of our foremost scholars, a man by the name of J.N.D. Kelly, he writes a book called The Early Christian Fathers and describes their writings and said it is clear that they were millennialists. The Bible itself speaks of this kind of future. Do you remember when Jesus was praying? Matthew chapter 6, teaching the disciples how to pray. And when he was teaching the disciples to pray, he says, In this manner, therefore pray. Matthew 6, 9 and 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Say it with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done, key phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus makes it clear that we should pray for the kingdom that will be on earth. He makes it clear that there's a kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, and there will be a earthly kingdom in the prayer of the saints. In John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus is answering Pilate. He said this, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And what Jesus is saying, in my first coming, I didn't come to establish a political kingdom. That's not what I came to do. Otherwise, the Jews never would be able to hand me over to you. Colossians chapter 1, would you turn there with me? Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we'll pick it up in verse 13. Paul confirms this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. There is a spiritual kingdom that we have been ushered into because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Currently, today, Jesus is ruling in heaven because his kingdom is not of this world. He's the king of the church. He will one day be the king over all the earth. He himself describes it. It's Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 Once again, Jesus is communicating. Luke chapter 21, you'll see it on the screen. Luke chapter 21. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and on the earth distress of the nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then, so after the seven-year tribulation... Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke this parable to them. Look at the fig tree. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and now for yourselves and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also. When you see these things happening... Know that the kingdom of God is near. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this earth. Then he says, after the seven-year tribulation, look up, my kingdom is coming to the earth. We are living in the spiritual kingdom of Christ. We will be ruling and reigning in the physical kingdom of Christ. 
Do you remember when Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, went up to heaven? And the, the disciples are sitting there, and they're looking up into heaven like this. They don't, this is such like a holy moment. It's like a worship night. There he goes. He's just ascended gradually into the heavens. Can you just imagine the moment? First of all, it's like, I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do for a job? You know, so, I, it's, you know, there's some practicalities to where the disciples were. I mean, Peter, he went back fishing. And so they're just staring at the heavens. So much so that an angel has to come. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, listen to what he says. Now, when he spoke in these things, while they watched... He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Key sentence. This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He left earth and he will return to earth in like manner. He will ride the clouds. Everyone in the world will see it. He will put his feet on the Mount of Olives and he will be back on the earth to rule and to reign. I struggle with spiritualizing what the Bible makes very literal. I struggle with it. The next view is post-millennial. Now, post-millennialists, and I'm going to actually quote from Christianity Today. Post-millennialists see the millennial as a physical reality on earth, while amillennialists see it as a spiritual reign in heaven. So anomaly says Jesus is already reigning. He's in heaven and he's reigning. And this thousand years, it's an allegory. It's just a spiritualization. He's just saying, I'm ruling and reigning. That's all he's saying. The post-millennialist will say, he is reigning. And he's reigning through his church. And the church has been given a job to go and make disciples. And we are going to overcome, the post-millennials believe, and one day there's going to be a golden age of the church where most people will get saved. And the church has a job by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring on the second coming of Christ by winning over all of the lost. I have a problem with this. Not that we're not supposed to be mission-minded, Not that we're not supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I have a problem that the world's going to get better. Most Presbyterians hold on to post-millennialism. That's why most Presbyterian churches have Presbyterian schools. Because they can believe that they'll educate Christ into the kingdom. But I want you to hear what the Spirit says about the end times. Listen, 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. It don't get better. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Do these sound like good Christians? Unthankful, unholy. Now, if any of these are on your checklist, Santa's not coming to your house. And he will check this list twice. Behold, excuse me, where, let's go back, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. Now, remember, Paul's talking to the church. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, so they are saying they're Christians, but they deny its power from such people turn away. Just a few verses down to verse 13, he says, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. I struggle with post-millennial theology that we're going to usher in Christ because then it makes a work, something that we do, bring Christ. That's like the Jews going to Zechariah and saying, hey, we've been fasting. When's God going to bring his promise? We're doing something. Bring him on. Here at Calvary Chapel South Bay, I believe in pre-millennial doctrine. Premillennial doctrine. Now, I want to be fair to say where I stand, that Christ will come 
and reign on the earth for a thousand years. I take scripture literally, literally, and I'll tell you why. How much do you think Isaiah struggled when God told him that the virgin shall be with a child? Do you think he was trying to mathematically figure out the whole thing? Like, think of how Isaiah struggled. And surprise, surprise, Mary gave birth. And she was a virgin. God performed literally exactly what he said that he would do. And I believe, as a premillennialist, that when he says he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years, he's going to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. Amen? Now, what's the big deal? Why are you making such a big deal of the millennial kingdom? And that's what I want to dig into in Revelation chapter 20 for just a little bit long, because what you believe is how you will behave. What you believe is how you will behave. So go back with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 20. Let's dig in just a little bit more. Revelation chapter 20. And in those first three verses, understand something. This age of the millennial kingdom is marked by Satan being bound. Well, I need to inform the amillennialist, and I need to inform the postmillennialist, this has not happened. Why do I say that? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Listen to what Peter says. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is not bound. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I watched a YouTube the, uh, last year. My son showed it to me. It may have been a couple of years ago. I can't remember. And it's in India, and this guy's riding an elephant. He's in this grassy knoll, and he's filming. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere a tiger, a full-on Shere Khan, okay? Like, Mowgli, the whole deal. I'm sure Bagheera was somewhere close. Like, I mean, this Shere Khan tiger, and if you don't know the Jungle Book and what I'm referring to, it's time for you to watch it, okay? So, this tiger who was, the elephant takes a step, and this tiger lurches from where the elephant's foot is and lurches at the man to grab him off the elephant, and it's all on film. You could not see the tiger in that grass. That's your enemy. He's prowling around. He's not bound. He's not bound. Now, some of you go, wait a second, wait a second. I remember Jesus saying something about the enemy being bound. Okay, I do too. It's Matthew chapter 12. You'll see it on the screen. Matthew chapter 12. How can one enter a strong man's house? This is Jesus, red letters in my Bible. How can one enter a strong man's house, speaking of the devil, and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. While it's true that the devil is bound, he is going to be bound. Let me explain. Jesus bound the enemy, and he accomplished a binding the enemy in his first coming by taking away the power of death. He bound him. You can no longer condemn anyone if they believe in me. I have bound you in that. At his second coming, he will bind him and put him completely in a pit, and he will replace the enemy as the ruler of the earth. And so he bound him in his first coming, taking away the sting of death. He will bind him in the second coming as the rule, and and Jesus will be the ruler of the earth. Satan will no longer, according to Revelation 20, be allowed to deceive the nations for a thousand years. Now, I don't know about you. Why not just get rid of him once and for all? Like, why not just end it right there and then? Hold on. I'm going to answer that question in just a moment. Go back with me to Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 and 6. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them. Judgment was committed to them. That's one group. 
That's the church. We know that from Revelation chapter 4. You can write this down, where the thrones are set up, 24 in all, for the 12 apostles and for the 12 tribes of Israel. And they are the elders or the mature church that sits on those thrones. So we know that he's speaking about the church right here in verse 4. Then, now he's speaking of another group. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads and on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So this is the second group. And this second group are the tribulation saints. They are those that get saved during the seven years. So we have the church and we have the tribulation saints And both of them rule and reign with Christ. In other words, those that were beheaded were resurrected, and now they get to live and rule and reign with Christ. Verse 5. But the rest of the dead didn't live again. So they weren't resurrected until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So he's speaking about the first resurrection of the church and tribulation saints. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God, keep that in mind, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Amillennialism and postmillennialism believe in one resurrection. But clearly the Bible communicates that there is a first and there's a second resurrection. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This will make it very clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I told you to be stretching your hands out. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll pick it up in verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll pick it up in verse 20. But now, speaking of the resurrection, Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So I hope none of you have fallen asleep yet. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, or Christ was resurrected first. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming... Okay, speaking of the church at the rapture and the tribulations, saints at his second coming, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority, for he must reign till he's put all enemies under his feet. The first resurrection is the resurrection of the godly. First, the church. We will hear the trumpet call, and we will meet Christ in the air, and our bodies that have been buried, those that have died, we will get a glorified body, and we will be changed in the rapture. We will go to be with Jesus while all hell is breaking loose on earth. Then at the second coming, Those that believed in Christ during the seven-year tribulation, they will be resurrected. Now, don't be surprised by this first resurrection having many resurrections because there are also two witnesses, if you remember, in the middle of the revelation. They are killed, and three and a half days in, they are resurrected. They are part of the first resurrection. The first resurrection is the resurrection of the godly. Now, some have confused the ruling and the reigning to only be the tribulation saints because it speaks about those that were beheaded during the tribulation. But there are two groups of people mentioned here. First, the church, those who will judge. And then second is the tribulation saints. It is clear that it's two distinct groups. And it's clear in Revelation chapter 20, if we'll go back there now, Revelation chapter 20, it's also clear that there might be a distinction. Now, I'm going to give you a sanctified guess here for just a minute. Would you take a look at Revelation chapter 3, excuse me, Revelation chapter 20, would you take a look, if you would, 
at verse uh, uh, 6. Blessed and holy is he who is part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. We know according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, that the church will reign with Christ. That's our job. We will reign with Christ. Remember, I've told you I've asked for New Zealand. If Jesus could ask for Jerusalem, I'm asking for New Zealand. Um, Andre and I, our 30-year anniversary is coming up. I'm, I'm saving up all my money. I want to go see where I'm going to rule and reign for our 30th year anniversary. I'm going to take a look at the mountains, find out where I'd like to put my throne, the whole big deal, okay? Now, I'm probably going to be like in Harlem, okay? So just stick with me in my own dreams, all right? We know the church is going to rule and reign. But the Bible also says that these two different groups, there's two different functions. They shall be priests of God and shall reign with him. I want to close with this story, if I could. I want to close with this story. In Genesis, we got the 12 brothers, the 12 sons of Jacob. 12 sons. Genesis, you can read all about them, okay? And there were two boys that were not very friendly. Their names are Simeon and Levi. Their sister, Dinah, was taken advantage of by the king of Shechem's son. So they came up with a great plan. And the great plan was, hey, dad, daddy Jacob, why don't we make them Jews? So let all the men be circumcised, and then we can let Dinah marry the king of Shechem's son. Jacob thought, wow, Simeon and Levi, you guys are really smart. Let's go ahead and do it. So the king of Shechem agrees for all of the men to be circumcised. (laughs) Okay, rough for Shechem. On the third day, when all of them are weak, Simeon and Levi alone go into Shechem and kill all the men. Jacob is a little upset. So upset that on his deathbed, he curses Simeon and Levi. You have wrecked our family. Now everybody will want to kill us. So you're cursed, and he curses them. Let's go a few hundred years later, after the Egyptians are sl- they're slaves in Egypt, and then they're coming out of Egypt. Moses goes up on the mountain. While Moses is up on the mountain, he comes down with the ten tablets. And he looks, and he sees the children of Israel. They are worshiping a golden calf. Now, Moses had an anger problem. So Moses takes the stone and throws them down. And he shouts out, who's for God? And the only tribe that did not worship, you can read the story in Exodus, the only tribe that doesn't worship is the tribe of Levi. They don't worship the golden calf. And they run to Moses and say, we're for God. And so God gives them a special privilege. They were cursed. But this act of faith that they made toward God, God gave the special privilege of the tribe of Levi to be the priests of the nation of Israel. Sanctified guests. Tribulation saints are human beings that rejected Christ prior to the rapture of the church. They were cursed. In the tribulation, they realized, because Aunt Susie, she used to tell them about the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, all of a sudden, millions of people are gone. And Aunt Susie, all of a sudden, they're reading the book of Revelation and and reading all the letters that Aunt Susie left for Brother Larry, who didn't believe in uh, Jesus. But now, he's reading all these letters, and everything's coming to pass, and the Antichrist is coming to power. And he goes, I should have listened to Aunt Susie. And he gives his life to Jesus Christ. He dies for Christ, Brother Larry. And if you're Brother Larry, I hope you're saved. (laughs) He's resurrected. Is it possible that the curse is removed and tribulation saints will be the priests like the Levites serving in the millennial kingdom? Now, church, a lot of information 
Amen? We're not even halfway done. It's important for us that we grasp the truth of the millennial kingdom. And I'll tell you why. There's another kingdom. It's the kingdom of hell. You see, one day we will rule and reign. How many of us want Brother Larry not to be ruling and reigning with us? You see, what we believe is how we're going to behave. And if we really believe in the thousand-year reign of Christ, then today, in the spiritual reign of Christ, we will do what he's asked us to do as our king. And we will go into all the world, and we will preach the gospel. Amen. Amen? Father, I'm so thankful for you and your word. And I pray now that as we have taken the time to study your word, that the truth of your word will speak to our hearts and speak to our lives. Change us, Lord, for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.